Good morning and welcome. I'm glad that everyone made it safe from the snow. We are continuing in our second week of our series, Greater Gifts. And today we begin our first of three weeks, at least in the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week we were in the book of Luke and here we're gonna be in one of Paul's letters to a church in Corinth. And so today our reading comes from chapter 12, verses one through 11. And it reads, Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were often misled by false gods that can't even speak. So I want to make it clear to you that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries and the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person, a word of knowledge to another according to the same Spirit, faith to still another by the same Spirit, gifts of healing to another in the one Spirit, performance of miracles to another, prophecy to another, the ability to tell spirits apart to another, different kinds of tongues to another, and the interpretation of the tongues to another. All these things are produced by the one and same Spirit who gives what it wants to each person. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me and please pray for me. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that it brings to us, that we can look back into the past and know of the conversations, the connection, the work of your spirit back when the church was so young, exploring what it means. And here we are 2,000 years later, still learning, still growing, still in need of the Spirit's work. And so I ask that you work through the words on the page and as we engage our hearts and minds, that your Spirit work within us to reveal what it is you would have us hear. May you speak through me in spite of me May you speak to our hearts in spite of ourselves. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Symphonies. Symphonies are one of the most profound and beautiful entities on the earth. Have, have anyone here been to the symphony? A few. A few. I, I would encourage everyone to experience the symphony. And you may say that, you know, you've heard them, but you just, it's not really your thing. But I tell you something about being there present in the room, in the room crafted to work with the symphony to bring all of its brilliance to life. There's just something very different that speakers could never produce. And symphonies are just magnificent. I mean, 100 musicians. Uh, as many as, with an array of instruments grouped into four groups. Uh, we have percussion, strings, woodwinds, and brass. And within those are different instruments. So strings, we have violins, violas, cellos, amongst others, piano. Uh, and all these groups, these different musicians and instruments have varied rhythms and notes and volumes and movements up and down 
from a whisper to a blasting of sound. They all work together. And of course, the conductor is leading them. And the conductor is so familiar with the piece and all of its layers, executing precise timing in response to lead the musicians who strive for perfection in every single note. Very few displays of groups of people and things working together so magnificently. And those who are talented enough to compose the pieces to begin with are beyond my comprehension. I mean, to hear the individual notes while also the whole piece involving all the instruments at once, playing different notes and lines, understanding how they will sound and to craft it, it's just, it's really brilliant and full display. Of course, the composer rarely ever makes a single sound on her own. The conductor is limited in her capacity. They don't, they don't make a sound either. Even the individual musicians are quite limited. They're making sounds, but one of a hundred, and they could not do much on their own. And the funny thing is, in the midst of a symphony, there's a hierarchy amongst the musicians. And if any of you have participated in the symphony, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. The top of the pile on the four groups is, of course, Yep, the strings. And if we were to step into the string section, there's even a hierarchy there. And uh, it would be, of course, the violins, right? Yeah, the violins, they consider themselves most superior. So they are at the top of the pile of the group that's at the top of the pile. And of course, at the bottom, you might find something like tubas or trombones or triangles. Uh, they're often considered the lowest. And it's even uh, in these supposed hierarchies, every composed piece depends on every single instrument, every single one. Many times it's the lowly instruments who receive a small part to play on their own upon which the others build. And in those moments, uh, we often find some of the most memorable, uh, most memorable sections of a symphony piece of a movement. I've often compared the Trinity and its relationship to the church as a symphony. And the whole idea is that our life of faith is a joint effort in community with our triune God and with each other, none of which on their own could accomplish what we're able to do together. So in this, in this image, the composer, if you will, is God, the author. We have the director, which leads the will of the composer uh, and, and teaches and leads and directs us, and that would be Jesus. The players all play. All their instruments bring their unique gifts and sounds and uh, strive to work together to submit to the will of the composer through the director. But of course, none of it could happen if we didn't have the presence of wind and breath. Or the other word for those two words in the New Testament is spirit, because it takes that wind and breath to cause vibration, to bring the sound to life, this often unseen, mysterious uh, element we call the Holy Spirit. So there's probably lots of holes in that image, but for me, it just is, is a great image. And on our faith, we're called to join in with our unique sound and ability by the leading of our Lord to live in accordance with the author of it all, empowered by our Holy Spirit. So we'll hang with that image. The church in Corinth is struggling to make the music of their faith. Some there are holding themselves up superior to others because of their particular instrument, and sound. Stay with the metaphor. Paul is making it clear that this is foolish thinking. In the time before that church was established, the people of Corinth followed after one or more of the hundreds of gods worshipped there. Um, Corinth was a port city, 
So if, if you were a sailor or a traveler, you would pass through Corinth and there would be something there to accommodate your various practices or beliefs and preferences. And so it was kind of it was kind of like a modern day Amsterdam or Las Vegas, I guess, would be the best way for us to get an idea of what Corinth was like. Temples were everywhere. There were lots of activities meant to bring in money of the travelers. Um, very touristy in a way. The people of the church had once participated in all of these various practices. They got caught up in the latest trend in deity. They participated in whatever seemed to be bringing fortune and prosperity. And then Paul came and introduced the one and only living God to the people through the faith and gospel of Jesus Christ. And it changed them. It led them down a different path. However, since Paul had left that area after spending some time establishing the church, uh, the church's past was creeping back into the present day. Hierarchy and getting swept up in ignorance, pride, and, and individualism uh, was becoming a way of the church. They were, they were touting some spiritual gifts as more superior to others. And the understanding that Paul lifts up is that in their day with all these deities and, and getting caught up in, in whatever the latest kind of religious trend was or whatever was needed, there were people that would stand up and, and offer wonderful oracle-like spiritual blessing um, and sayings and things. And, and they were regarded as more religious. They were regarded as the people that others should come to, offer money to, uh, to even serve because this person somehow represented their God in a, in a specific way. And here we have some of this thinking coming into the church because the Holy Spirit is bringing gifts into this young church. Remember, they didn't have the scripture. Paul's church did not have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And then they had the story of Jesus being told orally, but they didn't have what we have. And so the Spirit would often work and move people's hearts and they had to rely on on working together to understand where the Spirit was moving them, which was often into areas and places that they did not expect beyond their comfort zone. And some would even pray and offer a, a tongue, uh, a glossolalia is the word, but a, but a prayer that was un, you know, it was a language that didn't exist on the earth. There were other ways of speaking in tongues where you actually spoke other languages, but there was these special occasions where people spoke in a way that it wasn't recognizable. And Paul is saying, yeah, that's the Spirit, but that is not, that's actually, he's going to say eventually in the middle of this section, chapters 12 through 14, that that gift is useless unless somebody can be there to interpret it because every gift has a specific purpose and they're all equal. It's all about building up the church and teaching the community. And any gift that's touted for some sort of individualistic superiority is not of God uh, or they're taking something of God and they are perverting it. And he makes this clear by saying, if you proclaim Jesus is Lord, then the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So we believe this, yes, Jesus is Lord. Now, it may seem, well, that's easy enough to say, but let me break it down like this. Let me ask, how else could you come to such a proclamation that Jesus is Lord? Now, in Paul's day and in ours, to say Jesus is Lord is also to say nothing and no one else is Lord. Jesus is Lord alone. In Paul's day, saying Jesus is Lord is clearly saying that Caesar is not. And Caesar was in charge. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit could you come to the realization that living by the world's way, by Caesar's way, 
is not the best way. In fact, it's living by the way of Jesus Christ, proclaiming him Lord, and as the only Lord, um, it is the greatest and best way. And of course, this greatest and best way is not about becoming great. It's not about pursuing any of the world's standards. It's not about building yourself up. It's about living a life of service towards and for others, building up others, offering yourself on behalf of God to your neighbor in the name of love as revealed in Jesus Christ. The church was full of people who were giving all they had to the church, literally all they had. They would live together and agree to, to be one unit, one family, call each other sister and brother with one father. And they were committing their lives to live side by side, serving Jesus alone as Lord, not each other. They had abandoned any and all ways of building their own lives up through security or status. And instead, they claimed the life of the cross. And that's an instrument of death. They continually gave of themselves in a manner of death, kneeling down before others to serve, becoming more and more common as not to stand out as some sort of new greatness by the world standards. This is strange thinking. This is not normal, and we even struggle to live it today. So what else could lead you to knowing that this way is the actual only way to receive life? Uh, what else could lead you there except the Spirit of God? It's only by the Holy Spirit could you come to understand this upside-down view of the world is actually right-side up. First is last, last is first, greatest is least, least is greatest. Paul makes it clear that every person who proclaims Jesus as Lord, is, it has the Spirit working and they are given gifts by this one Spirit. And if you understand that Jesus is Lord also means no other thing is Lord, then you, you have the Spirit in you already having worked that out in your heart. You have spiritual gifts and you are a valued member of the symphony of faith. And Paul is telling the violin players, so to speak, who are feeling superior, yes, it's great that you speak in tongues, but sit down because... You are of equal value to everyone else, and everyone else is of equal value to you. It's only by the Spirit that you have that gift, the same Spirit that gives everyone else gifts. And we all have a part to play each and every day for the purpose of building each other up. And if you're not building others up, then I can tell you you're not living by the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're building yourself up, then you are simply bringing in the world's way and labeling it something else. Like the Corinthians who used to get swept up by mute and lifeless idols, we can sometimes find ourselves serving ourselves. We can even get swept up into advancing our individual church rather than the kingdom of God as revealed in and through the very body of Christ in the universal church. Amen? I mean, if we give to be seen and applauded, Jesus says, if that's what we're giving for, if that's, that's what we're offering offerings for, then it's not God we're giving to if it's just to be seen and applauded. He says if we pray to be heard and lauded, then it's not God we're praying for or to. If we fast, observe any ritual only to be regarded as more holy in ourselves, then it's not God we are honoring. Either Jesus is Lord alone or Jesus is not Lord at all. We are given gifts. You are given gifts, and you are given gifts, and you 
are given gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to produce a symphony of faith for our community. But the church needs you, or it is incomplete. It's what's happening in Corinth in Paul's day. It's what's happening now. We have everything we need for our community within the congregation right here because we have the very presence and work of the one God, one Lord, and one Spirit. The good news, my friends, that we come to know through Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit empowers you to serve your church and community with a unique gift. I hope that this church is encouraging you and building you up in this truth. I hope we are not flaunting particular gifts as if they are more powerful or more important. I hope because we pay some people in this church as staff that we haven't thought that their gifts are somehow more authentic. I hope because we have paid staff to begin with that everyone else doesn't just assume that it's not their job to minister, that we have staff to take care of it so we don't need to do anything. I hope that that's not where we've come to, but sometimes it is. Paul gives a list of gifts, but he was writing to a specific group at a specific time with specific struggles on this issue. So while we have a, a list of gifts, that is not all encompassing by any means. The Holy Spirit empowers us with an endless lift, list of gifts. Whatever the church needs, the Spirit provides. So maybe you teach, maybe that's your gift. Or maybe you're a wonderful listening ear and those of us who have needed a listening ear know just how valuable that gift is. Maybe you are able to offer a hug in such a way that people feel they are truly accepted. And we have some good huggers in this group. Maybe you play an instrument and you help to lead joyous worship. Maybe you are great at organization, and that is certainly not my gift. Maybe you are a prayer warrior. Yeah. Maybe your heart is for children or youth shut-ins or neighbors who don't fit in, who struggle, maybe with mental challenges. Yeah, we have some of that, don't we? Maybe you know how to offer the love of Jesus Christ to veterans in ways that others do not. Or maybe your battle, whether it be with cancer, with loss of a loved one, maybe your battle helps you be present with those currently suffering through such atrocities so that they no longer feel alone. That's a gift. Maybe you're great at helping people learn technology. Maybe you are a wonderful chef or simply a loving, devoted person who will prepare meals for those in need. Just to say, we're with you and you're not alone. Maybe you are always attentive to the stranger. You never hesitate to stop them, to pray for them. Uh, to pray with them so that they know Jesus loves them because you embody that love in Jesus' name. Yep, some of that's going on. <laughs> Maybe you have a way of calming your sisters and brothers down when they're getting worked up over politics or the drama of our world. Maybe you have the ability to perceive the Spirit's gifts in others, and you understand the incredible value of lifting up that gift in others for the sake of building up the church. Some of you may have heard your gift named. And some of you did hear your gift named, but you have no idea that is your gift. 
Some of you heard a gift and immediately thought of someone among you who is a master at that gift. Yeah, me too. And a lot of them are sitting in this room right now. Some of you didn't hear your gift. And that's not because your gift is unimportant. I could go on and on and on for days, lifting up the gifts I see. The Holy Spirit, just understand, the Holy Spirit has empowered you with spiritual gifts. Every person in here who proclaims Jesus is Lord. And the purpose for these gifts is to help build others up and advance the kingdom of our one Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So what are your gifts? This is what I want you to spend time with. Where does your heart lead you to serve in Jesus' name? And, and don't start measuring it up. Sometimes your gift is like a triangle or a tuba, just there to support the, the more prominent melody, or sometimes just given the chance to stand alone, but quietly. Other times you're, you're amidst the noise and, and your gift does appear more prominent because it's needed at the moment. But we are always in a flux moving up and down with the movement of the Spirit in our wonderful and beautiful symphony. So I ask you, what is your gift? And a way to discern this is to understand and ask yourself, what, what energizes you in such a way that only ever seeks to affirm that Jesus is Lord? I say that because you may find that things energize you, but maybe you like the attention. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that but the spiritual gift will run deeper. And maybe you've got a sense of what your gift is, but you've got a voice in your head or in your heart telling you that you're not worthy or it's not good enough. If you are hesitant or fearful, um, are you feeling vulnerable? All right, if you're asking these questions, let me ask you, is this fear about you? And that's okay. If it is, let's talk about it. Let's talk together. And there are people in here right now who are hesitant and fearful and feeling vulnerable. And so I ask you, what gifts do you see in each other? And I know you see them, so I, I ask you, share them. Share with people who you see the Spirit entrusting with a gift. If you see the Spirit giving them a gift, lift it up. Tell them. Maybe all they need is to be encouraged because the voice of the world or the voice of that which works against the will of God is simply too loud and too convincing and on every single channel that we turn on, uh, no matter what medium it is, the, the voices are loud. The spiritual battle, understand as we talk about it, it begins within. It begins within for you to accept and to understand that you are given the Holy Spirit. And then it's for us to lift each other up, to build each other up, to battle and walk side by side, hand in hand. It doesn't matter if we don't agree about non-spiritual things, church. Let me say that again. To be the church, it doesn't matter if we don't agree about non-spiritual things. One more time. We don't have to agree about non-spiritual things. Does it matter if we vote differently? No. It doesn't matter if we're from different generations and we don't quite understand each other. In fact, we seem to be speaking different languages or it seems like somebody's speaking in tongues because we can't even make sense of what they're saying because there's just a generation gap. And that's been the case forever. Maybe we just need to hang on the fact that Jesus is Lord and then seek to live our lives as a testament to that truth and start connecting with one another. Maybe we just need to arise 
and join the work of the Spirit within this congregation, and trusting that the Holy Spirit knows what we need and provides it to us through you, through the person sitting next to you, through anyone who might walk through our door to join in to this symphony of faith, because we don't know where the Spirit is calling people. We don't know what we need, and sometimes we only know it when it walks through that door. Are we ready to receive it? Are we ready to be open to it? No matter what instrument they play, no matter what instrument I play or you play, we need you. Jesus needs you. And you need us. And you need Jesus. We're going to do something a little different today. During our prayer time, we're going to sing first, offer our prayers, but I'm gonna have everyone come forward here in just a moment. You're gonna sit in the front two rows and then you're gonna share with one another during prayer time the gifts that you see in one another. And maybe you can share the gifts that you want to offer to Jesus this day that you wanna commit yourself to. This time will be practice, right? And if we can't do it here, there's no way we're gonna do it anywhere else. So we're gonna come forward. We're gonna look each other in the eyes, look to our left, look to our right, and share the gifts that we see. And some people in here are going to be ignited on fire because of the gifts that you lift up in them because somehow your voice is going to be the affirmation that they have been needing. And you're gonna carry these affirmations and these words for the rest of your life. Something amazing is about to happen. But I need you. I need you to participate, to sing, to play, to join in. Let this time be a celebration of all that God is doing in our lives and in our church. I invite you to come forward. Let's get close together for this. So come on up. We're gonna sit side by side, hand in hand if you want, and we're gonna make some music together. Uh, and before we come up, let me offer a prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the way that you have empowered us. I thank you for the way that you spend all of our lives working to draw us in and you're so patient when we fight you. I ask that we work on your behalf for one another at this time, that we let the Spirit speak and move, that we allow the Spirit to set us on fire, that we allow the Spirit to draw us in the directions that we need to go as a congregation, as people participating in something much bigger than ourselves. May we, may we offer what we have and trust the director. May we know the composer in such an intimate way. May we be blessed by the Holy Spirit, the holy breath within. And that may all, all that we do, may it glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>